0: Every you Bible, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Uh, if it's on your phone or it's on an iPad or if you have a literal book um, that's the Bible, uh, just open that up. We're going to continue and uh, finish out this chapter here in Ecclesiastes. And this smoke and mirrors series, I think, has been really good. Amen. I think it really helps open our eyes and bring us a lot of clarity on what does it look like for us to understand the true meaning of life and where we find fulfillment in our lives, which is only through Jesus. And Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived, still battled this and wrestled with this. And I think Ecclesiastes is kind of that that wrestling that Solomon has with himself to kind of come to that conclusion. But we're going to look at it again today, and I I wanted to just say uh, for those of you, um, I live in Birmingham, so it's a little bit of a drive out here. I feel like I'm up north right now, (laughs) Um, and uh, so it was a little bit of a drive. But if you know anything about Birmingham, last night Birmingham was—I got to take a deep breath to to communicate this to you. But have you ever heard of the Woodward Cruise? Um I, I never realized in a million years, I've never been to it, but I live on the 14th floor of an apartment that for yesterday, all day, from early morning to late at night, all I heard was rubber just being laid down on the street. And um, it was quite the sound. Um, I, I didn't know there were so many different variations of rubber when people peel out. It's, the sounds are so different, but they're so annoying. Could I could I say that? Um, but I know some of you own you own cars, or you were even there, and you love that whole world. But I went outside for a little bit just to go check things out, and um, I wasn't out there for long, but I went out there, and um, as I was preparing, taking a break, I went out and just kind of was looking around and just checking out some of the vehicles, and I one of the things that struck me is, um, I love the old cars, which are really, really cool. And some of the old vehicles, and then all of the wild and different vehicles. There was a car flying down the road that was an upside down van with tires. So let me say that again. It was an upside down van that they had put tires on the top of the van, and they were driving a van that looks upside down but they're driving it forward. <laughs> I don't know who in their mind had that idea, um, but all these different crazy cars and these old cars, and then I like came up and saw like some of these new ones. You know, like I don't even know all the terms. I think there's cars called Bentleys and uh, Alfa Romeos, and I think this one was like a Maserati, and it was. Really, I mean, it was like paper thin to the ground. And I remember walking up to it, and of course, the, the, you have to pop the engine so that everybody can see what's inside as well as outside, and that makes it even look more cool. And um, so I walked up to it, and I was just sitting there looking at it, thinking to myself, how much does this vehicle cost? Like... How much does it actually cost to own this vehicle, let alone lease it? And then I thought about my little Ford Bronco. (laughs) I was like, man, if I pulled my Ford Bronco up next to this and popped the hood on that, people would laugh, and then they'd go over to the other vehicle. Um, We live in a culture that is so driven by material things. Would you agree? We live up, we wake up in the morning from the time that we're awake in the morning to the time that we go to bed. We live in a culture that screams that materialism is the ultimate, ultimate goal of life. To get as much as you can, the most expensive things that you can, as long as you can in your lifetime. And today, we want to look at God's word and actually like see Solomon as he continues this discussion with himself and kind of coming to this conclusion that actually God, (laughs) of all people, is generous. God is generous. And ultimately, the richest things that you can have are found in him, not in a Maserati. The funny part is, I would love to meet the guy who owns that Maserati, To just see if actually he is totally satisfied with that vehicle. Something tells me he would probably want to go faster. He'd probably want it to look better. Or he'd probably want another one. And that's what we live in today. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses here, 18 through the end of the chapter, and hopefully that as we just understand this reality of God being a generous God, I hope that we can come to a place to really deeply believe that because I think it's hard for us in this world that we live in with with everything screaming at us to get more, better, best, more, better, best, the constant screaming, that we really don't believe God is generous enough with us. Or that we feel, God, yeah, you are generous, but I actually want to help you in this generosity to get what I need. We don't need to help God. Does anybody agree with that? God doesn't need our help to necessarily bless us with what he's going to give us. His generosity is way above and beyond anything we can imagine. It doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility and we just sit and let God like, bless us. We have a responsibility, but God is the one who gives us what we have. And so I want to look at a couple things today from this passage that I really think can speak to this and help us understand more of what this means. First off, why don't I ever feel like I have enough? This is the question of the world that never can be answered. But in verses 18 to 23, listen to what Solomon says about this very thing. In verses 18 here, it says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and I gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who is toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. I mean, what a sad, sad commentary to hear from Solomon after he's done all of these things. He has worked so hard. If you go back and look earlier in Ecclesiastes, he wanted every, he, he said, I got everything that my heart desired. I went and got all of it. And he comes to this place where in verse 18, his first two words are what? I hated. Man, how sad, to get, how sad to pour your life into all these things, building gardens and watering them and having servants and having all of these things that the world would look at and say, I would give anything for that. And here he said, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun. Like all of this work that he had done. Most of the people that have so much money are the most miserable people in the world. Can anybody agree with me on this? Have you noticed this? You talk to some people, and they have everything that you think you would want. You're like, man, I would love to have their life. And then you go meet them and talk to them, and you realize that their life is nothing that you would want. Because the more that you get, the more you what? And the more you want, then you get what you want, which means then i got to have more. And then you've got to figure out how to take care of the things that you have. And all it does is create a deeper and deeper, like he says here, vexation of the Spirit. Solomon understood this, but I think it's even more important that Jesus grasped this. And we see this not only in the Old Testament, but the New Testament And I want you to see what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. Um, Pretty powerful words. He's telling a story, but he's trying to communicate truth through this story. And he's talking about this man. And this man said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. See, he's not satisfied with what he has. He wants more. There I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat drink and be merry can you just hear this man talking to himself like look at all that I have and all that I've masked and I've worked for this is great I have it I can chill out I can live the life I have the life I'm living the dream verse 20 what's the first word of verse 20 what's that it's okay you can speak in church okay But, which means now there's a flip that's going on in the whole thought process. And here is the reality. But God, (laughs) interestingly enough, you haven't heard God's name throughout all of the stuff that he's given. You never heard God, you never heard him thank God for anything. And God said to him, fool! You fool! Exclamation point. All of these things that you have been given have come from my hand but you want more and you think you have the the dream and the life and you're living the dream apart from me, yourself. You're a fool. This night, your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, this is powerful. Whose will they be? so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The man who actually in himself is like, I'm going to gather all these things and I'm going to put in the hard work because I want these things and I think this is what's going to give me life. But they don't invest in eternity. They invest in the material reality. Man, I I read that and I find myself thinking those thoughts. Man, like, look at what I have. Look at what I've invested into. How much am I worth? And then I remember I'm a pastor. And I'm like, oh yeah, maybe it's not all about what I amass. But what is it that I'm pouring into for eternity? Now, needs and wants are totally different things and I think we struggle with that and in the world in which we struggle with it's huge I was just looking at this advertisers spend about 253.6 billion dollars every year this actually this was in 2019 they spent 256 253.6 billion dollars in advertisements billion. Man, I wonder what our national debt could do with that. Better yet, I wonder what our world could do with that. I wonder what Afghanistan and Haiti could do with that. But that money is just basically for advertisement. For the Super Bowl, to get a 30-second ad in the Super Bowl, how much do you think it costs? to get 30 seconds in the Super Bowl, what would you, what would you say? A million, $4 million, $5.5 million. For 30 seconds of really, if you've noticed these commercials, of just hilarious, dumb stuff. That's the part that drives me. If I was a company and I'm paying, okay, $5.5 million for 30 seconds, I think I'd want to just stand in front of the screen and say, Buy this! Please! (laughs) But no, you have like places like Doritos. Doritos. Have you guys watched the Doritos commercial? It doesn't mean anything. A, guy goes into, a kid goes into a cardboard box and he, he, there's a young man outside and then he comes out of the box and an old man happened to walk by and he, and he was in time travel and he's like, it worked. Beep. 5.5 million dollars. The world, what it's trying to communicate through all of these things is that it wants you to see that the things that you now want become things that you need. See, the transition from want to need is huge. What we need to live is food, clothing. Someone in the last service said water. That's really, really important. Transportation, probably. We need these basic things to exist. Our wants, though, are, well, i got to have the best food. Uh, I got to have the biggest house, got to have the nicest car, got to have the nicest clothes. And the reality is those are just wants, those aren't needs. But culture will push on you and actually take these things to push you from wants to needs. And it's a slow drift that we find ourselves in, where we might have a heart that realizes this is all i need and what god has given me i'm so thankful for and then in the reality we realize oh no i've actually drifted to where i'm not thankful for what i have and i want more the word vexed we see here at the end of this passage where solomon is communicating all of these things and he says for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation see what the thing that was just plaguing Solomon's heart, and he even says there at the end, even in his even in the night, his heart does not rest. Even at night, Solomon was wrestling with this reality that he could gain all of these things and amass all of this wealth and invest in all of this stuff, but the reality is, someone else was going to take it when he died. Do you realize? the reality that all of the things that you can put your life into are only going to exist with you as long as you stay alive. And I, I hate to tell you this, but today you're another day closer to the end of your life. Some of you are like, wow, this is a really encouraging sermon. I'm so <laughs> glad that I came today. But that, isn't that the reality? We're one day closer. So at the end of our life, what is it that we really want to see left behind? What's the legacy that we want to be living? And that's what I love about Jesus. He communicates to them and says, this man built up all this stuff. What he didn't realize is that his soul was going to be required of him. And God was going to say, guess what? Your life is over now. What did you really accrue? What is it that you really had? And how did you invest in eternity and see the reality of the needs of your life versus the wants of your life? Man, it's, it's such a devastating thing in the world in which we live, especially when I hear about Haiti and I think about Afghanistan right now, that even as they meet together, what does it look like for them to have needs and wants? And that we, as a people, can sit here in a nice air-conditioned space and have so much, but realize in our minds, oh, I want more. I want more. I don't have enough. If we had this, that would be better. If our church had this, it would be perfect. Secondly, I want us to see that God shares Bountifully with his people. He pours out and gives so much to his people. Verses 24 to 26. Solomon says, There's nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. The beautiful thing here in this part of scripture, in this part of this journey that Solomon is talking to himself as he finally comes to this place in the book at the end of chapter 2 where he begins to mention and think about God. If you read up until this point, God is never mentioned. He's talking about getting all of these things, pulling all of these things together. He never refers to God. He never refers to the resources of God. He never, res- he never like refers to thanking God. All he has in his mind is about getting, 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 and never understanding that everything that he has is from God. He says here, there is nothing better, verse 24, for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. The reality is that instead of us living life for something down the road that we might never see, is the simplicity of living in the moment that God has given to us to enjoy. And I mean, you have to understand, Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, and he didn't get this point until the end of chapter 2. That the reality is, is that I can have everything in the world, but if I don't enjoy today, right now, right here where I am, I really am not experiencing the blessing of what God's given to me. The blessing that God's given to us is really reality that I actually can be here in this moment alive, that I woke up this morning and I saw the sun kind of creeping through the window, that I actually have breath in my lungs, that I can breathe, that I can actually see, I can experience life. And I love that's what he says, that he wants them to understand, whoever's reading this, is that you work and you find enjoyment in the things that you're doing. The word of God says, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, you do it all to what? The glory of God. See, that's the moment we live, the moment we live in today, right now, we give God glory for. We don't talk about, well, God, yeah, I'm not really happy with today, but at this week, if you can make this deal go down, man, I'm going to live to your glory so much. And God's like, I don't want your glory in a week. I want your glory today. Can I get an amen in the house? (laughs) Some of you are like, I don't like that, man. I want that deal to go down this week. What if you don't get to that deal? What if you don't get that thing you want? What if if your soul is required of you earlier than you think it will be? That means today in this moment while I live and breathe and have my being, I want to say, This, like Solomon, is a gift from God. Adam and Eve are perfect illustrations of this. They had everything they could ever want or need, and then some. They're placed in an amazing garden, and God would come and walk with them in the cool of the day, but there was one problem, and there was one thing that they didn't have, and what was that? It was that one fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they had everything in their souls but that piece of fruit. And sure enough, what do you think happens? And then God comes to walk with them in the cool of the day like he did every day. And man, when I think about that, I just picture the brokenness of the heart of God coming to meet with those that he created in the cool of the day, and he, they're not there. And he says, Adam and Eve, where are you? Now, do you think God didn't know where they were? He knew exactly where they were. But the reality of his heart was so broken because he realized, because they went after the things that they thought they they'd needed, but really they wanted that question was asked where are you maybe that's the question God's asking us today where are you Where are you in this midst of getting more, of accumulating more? Where are you in this reality of, do you see the world as a materialistic thing that I've got to get as much as I can with the time that I'm here? Or do you see the world through the eyes of Jesus where it's like, I need to invest in eternity. I actually need to be rich towards God, not myself. It goes on and it says, in verse twenty-six, for to who one pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. Now, some people take this verse and they kind of mix, mix they miss communicate what's going on here. It doesn't mean that if you please God, God's going to give you everything, and the people that don't please God are going to give you their stuff. (laughs) That would be a really awesome thing. (laughs) I would love that. What he's actually talking about here is that those who pursue, pursue God, and without faith it's impossible to please God. So the fact that you have to trust in God to provide for you, that's what he's talking about here. God provides for you, maybe through other people, but God's the one who provides for you. God is the one who owns everything. God is the one who has everything under his control and under his hand. Whether he's given you a lot or he's given you a little, can you say thank you? And, like the song says, surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life, whether I have a little or I have a lot. I have something. And even if you don't think you have anything today, there's a God who says, You can have me. You can have me above and beyond anything in the world. And the reality is, I'm more valuable than anything in the world you could ever attain. I'll give you a million Maseratis. And that doesn't even begin to chip the iceberg of who I am and what I exist and what I have. In a relationship with God, a relationship with God is more critical and more important than all of the things that the world can provide. Today, if you don't know him, if today, this Jesus that we're talking about and these things that we're talking about, if, you don't, if you've been trying to gather all the things in your life and you realize that they're not satisfying you, might I, might I invite you to the one who will fully satisfy? God. And that's what Solomon came to realize. The pursuit of more, it's all about the pursuit of more. Can I get more? Can I get more? Can I amass more? I think it's amazing that at the end of life, if you've ever seen a hearse drive by, when a hearse drives by me, I have a lot of different thoughts that come into my mind. One of the thoughts I have is, is I wonder what they're doing right now standing in the presence of God. Like, did they know him? Didn't they know him? And then you see all these this procession of cars all behind them. And then my thought to seeing all those cars is, I wonder how many people, those people know God. And I wonder if today, wherever that service was, I wonder if someone actually told them about the message of salvation of Jesus Christ. Usually funerals are this window into the soul of people where they actually think about life and future and what it really means to live, and that window is only open a few moments in that service before it closes, and then they go back to their everyday life. Wouldn't it be amazing, though, if you're driving by a procession and you saw this this hearse And then actually right behind it, you saw a 150-foot U-Haul attached to the hearse. It's okay. You can laugh in church. I mean, uh, has anybody ever seen that before? Okay. Uh, This this is like, this would be fascinating to actually see a hearse with a U-Haul like Back on, and the hearse actually had a ball, like the ball that you set it on. <laughs> that a hearse actually had that. And there's this huge, like, long, massive U haul trailer, and all this stuff's in it. And the hearse is kind of like, you know, going down, going into, like, you know, the, the uh, what do they call it, cemetery. And they're driving around the cemetery, and they pull up with this. Would that not be weird? That's the reality, though. When our lives come to the end, it's not like we take everything with us, and Solomon's like, all the stuff that I gained and worked so hard for, someone else is going to have, and I don't even know if they're going to be a fool, or they're going to be wise with what I gained. See, if we leave a legacy behind that's about eternity and pouring into the lives of people and seeing people come to Christ like this young man this morning, if we pour our hearts and our lives into that eternal and being rich towards God, someday you'll stand before him and he'll look at you and you'll look at him and he'll say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Man, I want to hear that so bad. I don't want to hear, man, where's all your stuff that you gained? Well, man, I did this and I did that, and man, my 401k was huge, and blah blah blah. blah. Yeah, but you know what? It's all burned up like stubble, the scripture says. I want to be rich towards God. How about you? I want to I wanna be able to stand before him and say, God, my life was yours. Man, there's a lot of things I wanted. <sighs> I would have given anything for that. I would have loved to have had that. But you know what? I have you. And now I get to spend eternity with you. What a beautiful, beautiful way to end your life.